Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. series finale of Barry Wow is over but we are just getting started here on post show recap hello everybody Mike Bloom here to talk about wow in so many ways uh, in a particular acronomic way we were in for a world of wonder as this truly wonderful show came to an end last night the second of two big hbo award-winning series to end with its fourth season on may 28th so it's sharing a bit of double billing right now we are pulling it aside as the true star of our podcast to unpack everything that happened with the final episode of barry but of course i am not alone here i'm never alone i'm looking over to my passenger side of my car not seeing a bouquet of flowers. I'm seeing my co-host, Latanya Starks. Latanya, here we are, the other side of Barry. Here we are. Uh, I'm still not sure exactly how I feel about all of this, but I am glad that if I have any troubles, I could just head to my nearest convenience store and buy all of the guns. 
Exactly. Isn't that the lesson we should take away yes. from this, uh, how hyper-violent <laughs> our society is? Exactly. And still know that I will be redeemed and able to sit at the right hand of the Father. As so. long as you sacrifice yourself at exactly. the end of the day, yeah. the math equation balances out. Well, here we are at the sum, speaking of math, of Barry, especially with this just barreling season four. We come to what we thought was going to be our big meeting point, of course, in true Barry fashion, we swerved that ended up not being the case. All that being said, major spoilers for the way that Barry ends. I usually don't do this, but if people just happen to chance upon this and you do not want to know how Barry ends, please, please turn off the podcast. Yeah. Watch this delightful 35-minute episode and come back because wow is not only our reaction to the episode, but Latanya, the final words of the titular character. Final words of Barry Berkman. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's wild. And I'll bring in the good news is, you know, uh, unlike some of our previous recordings, we're doing this the day after the finale. And a lot of press has come out after the fact. Henry Winkler revealed that originally that was not going to be Barry's last words. Originally, they did yeah. a longer take where Barry's final words were, Mr. Cousineau, you don't have to do this, uh, okay. which feels very echoing to previous moments, but yeah, I think it works so well, right? It is yeah. short. It is sweet. It's very much evocative to me of Barry, the character, when we first meet him, who was sort of at a loss for words in more ways than one, more likely to talk with his fists and his weapons mm -hmm. than with his mouth. And so I think it makes sense that that's represented here. That and also kind of the hubris of him coming to Mr. Cousineau's house in this moment, just like demanding that his his wife, question mark, or girlfriend and son be returned to him, even though they aren't there. And Gene finally using that gun on who he intended to use it on in the first place. Yeah, so there's a lot to get into. As you mentioned, R.I.P. Barry. R.I.P. Noho Hank. Yeah. Mukes ends up uh, perhaps having his own bit of redemptive moment, or at least ending on a relative high note. And the series concludes with a five-minute movie within a show depicting the lives of Barry Berkman and Gene Cousineau. LT, I know we've got a lot to chew over here, but do you have any overall thoughts about the way Barry landed the plane here? Um, I think that it was quintessentially Barry, you know, mm. like no other show could have done a finale like this because no other show really would have like earned a finale like this. So we had to figure out what the main characters on the board were going to do and what was going to happen to them. We kind of got the idea that for characters like Barry and Hank, there wasn't really any other way out of the series other than their deaths. Uh, it's interesting to see Fuchs redeem himself with Barry's son in a way that he was unable to redeem himself with Barry proper. Um, and to see Sally is okay and just kind of living a normal life as a, like a high school drama teacher is wild stuff while Gene is in prison for things that he didn't even do. Yeah. So, and some things that he did do, though, by the end of yes. the series. I mean, I agree with you that there were some inevitable aspects to it, right? The inescapable idea of the violent life that Hank ended up putting himself into by killing Cristobal. These violent delights have violent ends. I was just going to gonna say. Yeah, to quote another um, much bereaved HBO show. And so it only makes sense he went out that way. 
similarly with Barry, considering all the violence that he had wrought. But this episode was still full of surprises, in my opinion. I mentioned it before. I thought we were totally heading for Monastery 2.0, big firefight, almost like what was depicted in the fictional in the movie. In the universe in the yeah. movie. Yeah, and it turns out that no, Fuchs is the one to save the day, not mm-hmm. Barry. And we'll certainly get into that. I, I absolutely love that turn. So for me, I think it was such a perfect mix of not pulling a Game of Thrones, for lack of a better term, and like, having our characters do completely uncharacteristic things or bring up surprises that seemingly make no sense. So sticking with beats that we knew were going to be there, just given the characters' journeys, while still at the same time throwing up some curveballs, including yet another time jump leaning into, again, as we mentioned before, a final scene of a kid sitting down to watch a movie. Yes, and... Uh, what seemed like a lifetime movie at that like it didn't yeah. even seem like it got the big movie treatment that uh it definitely did not get uh the guy from my left foot yeah no ddl or mark Wahlberg. i would imagine no. after what happened with gene they're like we're not touching this with a 10-foot pole yeah at this point <laughs> like yes he's an interesting complex character perhaps even more so gene Cusino after killing after killing his, Barry. his former student but at the same time i would imagine they're like no thanks. Uh, and, you know, shout outs to the sort of nameless actors who end up playing Barry and uh, the, the, the British version of yeah, Gene seriously. The fact that Gene was British says everything that we need to know about this movie. Well, let's start at the very beginning of the episode as we built to a crescendo to begin with. Uh, as it just, you know, hits on this very funny image of Fuchs just chilling out, listening to music (laughs) in the tub. And this is what we expected was going to happen at the end of episode seven. Not the tub stuff, but Mm. what Hank is going to do, which is to essentially use Barry as bait to get Fuchs to come to him. Uh, And I love Fuchs initially saying, what do you take me for? You? But Hank is going to show Sally and John And that makes Fuchs change his tune quickly. Now, what I find interesting is, again, let's look at this through a different lens. Initially, I would imagine we were both like, okay, Fuchs is going to get his revenge by going there, killing Barry's family, or at least commandeering them and using them as his own hostages. But now my logic is that as soon as Fuchs saw John, his mood changed. And he becomes the sort of like metaphoric Mel Gibson here, give me back my son, except now it's sort of like, give me back my grandson, because Barry is right. his sort of figurative son. And that's going to cause him to go on this war path to take down Hank. That's how I read it, too. The, uh, it, you know, it, it, we have Sally. Okay. We also have this little guy. Oh, wait a minute. Barry has a son. This is my opportunity to do better by Barry's son than I was able to ever do by him. Um, completely changing the trajectory of how this could have gone down and turning Fuchs into more of like a guardian angel for John than anything else. Right. And I think we're going to get into this later on, right? Fuchs admitting that he has finally become the person that he claimed he was for the past Mm -hmm. three seasons and really wasn't that like now he truly feels well-equipped to be able to do this. I think, I think the Fuchs of the first three and a half seasons would not be the one to charge in with his entire posse and possibly lose them all and throw himself over a child as a human shield. No. And, and we'll talk about self-sacrifice with the Barry character, but I think it's an interesting beat for Fuchs as well, that 
it's almost a combination of Barry and Hank, in my opinion, where he has become like Hank, calcified to this idea of, okay, if I want to be this hardcore person, I have to lose my heart a little bit. Well, at the same time, having such a big heart for Barry, in my mm-hmm. opinion, that he would go to extreme lengths to protect this boy that he has never met before. Yeah, I think that it probably like just took him back in terms of sense memory to when he first met Barry as a kid mm. and made him think of all of the things, the ways in which he ultimately wronged Barry uh, by bringing him into a life that, you know, was terrible and involved murder. Um, it was a, a, a way, a means of trying to keep this boy, John, as innocent as humanly possible even given the terrible circumstances that they were all in and the fact that there was like a shootout that happened that he had to shield him from well speaking of shootout you mentioned this before barry's gonna charge back into this like walmart (laughs) knockoff just simply saying guns the music choice is fantastic between him entering to finally and then him leaving to more than words which i think actually are very fitting for this entire trajectory of the finale yeah but also him walking through the aisles of toys where he's just like he's got more gear than a rambo doll yeah and then i also love the comic beat where he can't get in the car because he's still strapped and loaded so many guns he cannot physically fit in his car so as Jean is going to be very much uh, pilloried and in the stocks here, as Jim and the DA have officially put out a press conference that they're reopening the Janice case, Sally is going to have a big breakthrough with John. The choreography or cinematography for all this and blocking is so well done. This is the first of a couple of one shots we're going to get throughout the episode and Sarah Goldberg is just such a powerhouse here. I love the symbology of her starting off with her back literally turned Mm -hmm. to John as she is going to use this moment to say, well, listen, this may be the last thing that you experience on this planet, and I don't want it to be a lie. She's going to admit that they're fugitives. Barry was a murderer, and I'm a murderer too. I killed a man. And I deserve whatever happens to me. She's going to commend her son, despite the fact that, you know, it's it's a complicated subject. This idea of love we have seen certainly in this phase of the Barry timeline that she is far from a caring woman towards this child. But she does tell him, I know I've never told you this before, but you're a good person. But I'm not. And it is wrenching in this moment because Sally has been, I think, one of the most honest characters throughout the entirety of Barry for better or for worse. I think she is someone who very much like wears her own emotions, her integrity on her sleeve. And it was just such a literal wig off moment, Mm -hmm. right? For her to be like, if this is the end of my life, let me sort of come to terms with who I am and apologize to this kid for bringing him into this world. Yeah, that and, uh, you know, to talk a little bit about Sally's parenting, because I know that, at least in the Discord, um, from the feedback that we've seen, there's been a lot of people who have, like, had some choice words about Sally's parenting. Mm. And I think that uh, I, I always wanted to give her a little more grace, just because I could not imagine a situation wherein I was on the run with a noted serial murderer, 
And then I had this child all of a sudden to take care of. And I had to like pretend to be this other human being uh, when I was out and among people and then come home to this child that I couldn't tell the truth. And the truth is like gnawing away at you. Mm. So that and the fact that her parenting, as we saw, was nearly non-existent, at least from her mother. So she didn't have good role models to look to. So to turn to this particular moment where she's the first person to actually be honest with John about what his situation is, what he's inheriting from both of his parents, I think is a huge turning point in terms of parenting for Sally. Yeah, the theme of this episode really seems to be penance, I think, for the majority of our characters. This feels like Sally's penance. This feels like her confession, where Mm -hmm. she says, I deserve whatever happens to me. I think in that moment, she just wants to be cards up. She wants to stop playing this part. And I think this is the real Sally coming forward for the first time with her son. And the fact that he responds by like, throwing his arms around her shows in a way the truth shall set you free. Mm -hmm. Now we'll note later on in the flash forward, you know, John says, I love you. And she does not respond. I love you too. So there is still a bit of that old Sally baked into her, no matter where she goes. But I think at the same time, if I distill this moment down, I think it's Sally realizing that like this, this like uh, infinite love, I would say uh, not dependent on any circumstances is something that can exist. I think Sally is very much a character that yokes herself to the idea of being loved and trying to glom onto someone that will give her that attention, that positivity, only to realize at the same time, there is someone that has been in her life for the past eight years that does just that. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, putting her hopes and dreams kind of into her son, like all of the things that she wanted for herself, putting that into John instead is a huge turning point for Sally and something that I was afraid that we wouldn't get to, but I'm glad as a moment that we got to experience with the two of them and that, you know, they leave the show kind of a little unit with each Mm -hmm. other. Like they are each other's family, regardless of her, you know, being able to not being able to say, I love you in the end still. Um, But you get the idea that she's definitely sobered up for him. And that she continues to show up for him every day. All right. Speaking of love, let's get into Noho Hank's last stand here. Because there's a lot to get into. We have a showdown in the the lobby of Noho Ball, the Noho Lobby, as Fuchs is going to approach with his entourage in tour. Uh, he is going to, you know, taunt Hank a little bit. You're very lucky, Barry, falling into your lap like this. And Hank simply says, seizing on luck is part of my profession. And Fuchs is going to use that beautiful silver tongue one last time, right? He's going to continue to po- to poke at Hank like we saw back in episode six about how his partner was murdered, quote, by his enemies. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, denial is tough. I used to think I was a soldier, ignoring the fact that I never fought a battle in my whole life. I was a poser, and I fancied myself a mentor, fostering other men's natural abilities. But after getting beat up in prison, I dropped the bullshit and just accepted who I am, a man with no heart. Hank responds by saying, I am nothing like you, Fuchs. He calls him a weak, manipulative little man. Fuchs responds in kind with a new deal on the table. 
He'll walk away from this entire firefight in exchange for Hank just saying that he effed up and killed Cristobal. Mm -hmm. Admit that you're scared, that you hate yourself, that there are some days you don't think you deserve to live, and the only thing to make you forget is to be someone else. And Hank gets the closest he can to, I think, the truth in this moment. He is verklempt, to say the least. He starts, you know, I think, opening his heart up a little bit. It wasn't supposed to happen. Fuchs responds, it never is. Hank responds, I just want to be safe. Fuchs responds, we all do. And then as John gets brought out, Hank goes from his heart to his head again. Mm. He steals himself, walls off that emotion, and gives what ends up being his final words. You are an effing liar. The deal is off. Go F yourself. And Fuchs, seeing the inevitability right in front of him, pulls out his gun, and for the first time, kills a person. And it's a big one, that being Noho Hank. Yeah. Right through the heart. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so telling, even the place that the places that the that Hank and later Barry get shot. Um, we get so close to an admission from Hank. And ultimately, all we get is a death scene where Hank, you know, looks as if he's seeing something terrifying and then embraces the statued hand of Cristobal. It, it is such a wild scene the emotion is kind of all over the place because it starts off with uh, Hank being really kind of like reserved and I'm here to do business. And then as Fuchs is kind of taking him, you know, closer and closer to admitting what he did, that he starts to become a little bit more unhinged and, you know, almost, almost says, you know, almost admits to something, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about John entering the room that kind of changed his mind about being honest with himself. If I could hazard a guess, I think when John appears, Barry is reminded of, sorry. I think when John enters the room, Hank is reminded of this idea that there's a deal happening. And I think he sees the Monroe Fuchs that was in, you know, Goron's garage back in season one. And I think he incorrectly assumes that this is a trick, that this is a trap, that this Mm -hmm. is, oh, you're just buttering me up. You want me to say what, you know, I've always kept inside, but for your own benefit, not for mine. You're trying to manipulate me. It's not going to happen. And it's going to be one of his final actions. And again, we go back to this idea of like, the truth shall set you free. Right. I don't think it's coincidental that Hank ends up being the most disingenuous here yes. by walking right up to that precipice, but then edging himself back and saying like, nope, I refuse to admit it. And as a result, Fuchs simply kills him because of it. Yeah. He dies because of his lack of honesty. And uh, we all know Noho Hank to be the ultimate edge lord. Um, (laughs) makes total sense but yeah he he can't admit it he can't admit the truth and he dies as a result of it yeah it's absolutely wild helped by the fact that we get yet another impressive single shot in this case just an absolute massacre of these two sides and i love again this continuing of the cycle or these resonant themes that fuchs never fancied himself a soldier 
But now he is considering he essentially puts earmuffs on John right. and guides him through a battlefield. You know, yeah. there are grievously wounded people around him, legs blown off, guts spilling out. And now Fuchs finally gets to be that person to be like, desensitize yourself, walk through the chaos that unfurled mm-hmm. around you. Let's go into a lighter environment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to go find your dad now. Uh, Even ignore the cries of your mother. (laughs) Where you just need to get you out of here and out of this situation. It's it's really interesting to watch the journey that Fuchs has been on through all of these seasons. And I never thought that I would ever get to a point with this character where I would feel some kind of forgiveness toward him of all of the terrible things that he's done but he definitely does go a long way toward redeeming himself when he leads john like kind of out of the wilderness in in this uh and uh, getting him out of that like terrible crime scene of a place yeah and the thing is as much as we talked about hank doing a lot of posturing fuchs himself kind of is feeding him a line right with i'm a man with no heart considering that It seems like the reason he came down here in the first place was because of this deep down love and admiration that he has for Barry. That the second that he sees his son is in trouble, despite the fact that he doesn't know him from a hole in the wall, Mm -hmm. he is willing to lose a lot of his main men and take down a bunch of Chechens in the process just to get him back. Oh, yeah, for sure. He has absolutely no problem whatsoever putting everything on the line for this one thing and all he asks in return is that no hank tell the truth that doesn't happen and so it's on at that point so uh fuchs is going to walk john out and this is where i think we begin to get the beginning of the end for Mm -hmm. barry uh because he is going to pray lord i'm gonna die tonight please give me the strength to sacrifice myself so my son can live a long and pious life and that by doing this, all my sins will be washed away and I will be redeemed in your eyes. Now I'll be able to sin next to you in my rightful place in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. Amen. And I love how much this connects back to, again, Barry's trip to LA over the past few episodes of like him trying to find a higher purpose behind what he's doing. What is making him put one foot in front of the other and I think now he has that final sense of purpose, which is going to lead to him turning himself in moments before he gets unceremoniously killed, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, now I realize I'm the martyr. I'm the one right. that has to die so that the others can live a sinless life. And just totally deluding himself the entire time. Because, you know, calm down, first of all, with the being a martyr. <laughs> like, you've murdered so many people. You're, you're really just turning yourself in and taking responsibility for what you did. And the idea that, you know, he believes that if he can carry out this rescue of Sally and John, that he'll be fully redeemed in the eyes of God is bargaining yeah. at its best. And it's and no one's really buying it, you know, except yeah, Barry. Well- Well, I think, remember, listen to, remember one of the podcasts that he listened to where they said, oh yeah, in the Bible, when the killings were justified, it makes sense if you're carrying out God's wishes. And I do think to a certain extent, again, we've talked about this before, Barry came from the army, an environment Mm -hmm. where you are killing people in pursuit of a greater good. Barry was perhaps pulling back from that area and thinking, okay, listen, I might have to do some more bad stuff. 
I thought I left that behind, but as long as I'm doing it for a good reason mm-hmm. to help my wife slash girlfriend and son, then that's okay. Then I'm totally justified <laughs> in whatever I'm about to do. Uh-huh. Uh, not so much, though. Uh, not so much, though. <laughs> not and, so and, much. Yeah, not, not only the purpose, but also the action itself, as he's going to step out, and it's already done. It's done, yeah. Fuchs is going to simply walk forward, hand off the asset in the form of John, they will not share words Mm-mm. with each other for seemingly the last time that they'll see each other. Yeah. They're simply like an acknowledgement, a nod, and then Fuchs does the thing we love to see on Barry, go back into the darkness. Yeah. I really like the idea that this is the way that everything culminated in terms of this is how the firefight went down as opposed to Barry yeah. uh, entering yet again, kind of deus ex machina style wielding all of these different weapons and taking all of these people down. I I love the way that they kind of shoehorn that into the movie within <laughs> the the show. Uh but that's not what actually ends up happening on the show. I really like that choice because when we were you know speculating about what could happen, we wondered if we were going to get another classic Barry rage fest. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that that didn't happen again. Yeah, I think so as well. Not only because it would be a bit of a repeating beat, but I think it's an opportunity for Barry to sort of realize the effect that he has had on people in so many different ways. Sally confessed earlier to like not being a good person and a murderer. Mm-hmm. Hank is somebody who is obviously very emotionally conflicted with what he felt he had to do and what Barry Berkman had kind of like infected him with. And now Monroe Fuchs who does something because he legitimately cares about Barry to the point that he sort of saves the day here. I think it just speaks to the various moons that are orbiting this very demented planet that is Barry Berkman. And I find it much more appropriate for him not to be the one to carry through that. It is instead a person whose life he has influenced so much. And I think it's also a great beat for Fuchs. And that, as he mentioned before, like this entire time, he has been leading Barry along by saying, I'm doing this for your own good. I'm mm-hmm. protecting you. I'm keeping you safe. Now he gets sort of put his money where his mouth is yeah. and actually physically protects this child and ends up helping Barry out. Yeah, for sure. Really All right. this beat. I, I, I need to send take a moment here to send off No Ho Hey, because this is where we actually get the death. And I feel like he is such an important character in this show to not not take a moment and just mourn him as we get, frankly, in my opinion, a beautifully artistic image. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned before, Hank is on his last legs. He is slumped up against this Cristobal statue. And you see this mortified look in his eyes. If I could, you know, draw a story behind it, maybe it is... Hank mentally descending into the pits of hell. Right. Making eye contact with all the people he has wronged. And the final thing he does is is, uh, is clasp the hand of the cold, metallic Cristobal statue. And the image is like almost of a Renaissance painting in my I opinion. I know, it is. It's, it's beautiful in like a really brutal kind of way. Um, but yeah, just like... We knew that these two characters were always kind of destined for each other uh, and destined to cross paths again. And and for me, this is them doing that. 
uh, even though it's just a representation of Cristobal in terms of it being a statue, it is kind of, he still provides the last bit of comfort to a dying Hank. That's the thing for me is he shows at the end of the day that he is a character who can't help but have love in his heart. I think maybe that's the ultimate message of Barry is like, you can close yourself off to as much emotion as possible. But at the end of the day, we make so many decisions based on the people we love, we hate. You can't help but incorporate your heart into your brain. It's just a natural part of your body. And so the fact that Hank, despite vehemently denying, right, that he killed Cristobal, that this was just simply a business decision up until his dying day, for the final thing for him to do is reach out and touch just a facsimile of the person that represented that love to me speaks volumes that in that moment where he has nothing left in those last moments of his life, he is going to reach out and touch any memory of Cristobal that's within, you know, his line of sight. Yeah. Just anything that he can grasp onto of this man that was like his soulmate and, you know, uh, person that he cared about more than anyone in the world but still managed to murder yeah um even if he didn't do it with his own hands he made the call so uh yeah i i just think that it's incredibly poetic especially when you consider that it's possibly uh cristobal's face that he saw when he was kind of descending into whatever this imagery was that he saw upon his death I love the image in so many ways, even just besides the hand-holding. The fact that from a positional perspective, Hank is below Cristobal. Yes. He's almost looking up as if, you know, Cristobal was St. Peter welcoming him into heaven. Yeah. And the fact that despite the fact that he worked his way up to become this crime lord in the time jump, he ends up right back at the bottom of the rung of the ladder where he started the entire thing his empire in tatters around him. The fact that he dies in the lobby of this building that he constructed himself, surrounded by all these men that he hired who died alongside him. I think it does show at the end of the day, like as a, as a gangster, he was a failure in my opinion, that yes, he was able to make the hard decisions in that moment and built something up over the past eight years. But At the end of the day, he ends up failing because of the reasons that damned him in the first place as to why he was called soft by the other gangsters. You know, Mm -hmm. he can't help but be himself even in those final moments. Yeah, exactly. Really haunting stuff that we get. Just the the, Anthony Kerrigan has been doing fantastic work this entire season. Oh, yeah. The whole show. But just the, the, I, I would really like a little like in-depth like inside baseball here like what was it that he was thinking of of, that he saw that Hank saw um that caused him to have this like look of terror on his face right before he expired yeah to your point it could have been Cristobal where initially you think it'd be like ah finally but considering Hank's involvement in Cristobal's death I think he'd have a lot to answer to and so I think that reaction is mixed properly. There, as I mentioned before, there is some stuff right out right now with Sarah Goldberg, Anthony Kerrigan, and uh, I believe uh, Stephen Root as well. But I don't know if Kerrigan has answered any questions about that moment, end of Hamilton style, mm-hmm. of what exactly that reaction means. Yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So now let's approach the end game of Barry's life. We have killed one character off. Let's end the other one from this episode. As the family is going to settle down, Sally and Barry chatting while John sleeps between them. And Sally, now that she has kind of had her own come to Jesus moment, tells Barry she had been researching all the stuff that had been going on with Jean. She tells him, you have to turn yourself in. Mm-hmm. Barry does not say yes. He feels no. like everything happens for a reason. I don't think that's what God wants for me. He thinks in this moment that he has been redeemed because his life was spared. Right. But Sally kind of reminds him that, no, maybe your moment of redemption is supposed to come later on. She says the only way to be redeemed is to take responsibility for what you did. And I think that, again goes back to what we just spoke about with Hank, that in the end, Hank's character is not redeemed because he does not own up to the things he has done in the past. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that this is a continuation of the conversation that Sally had with Barry before he even left uh, their house. Just, you know, like, this isn't what God would want 
um, essentially like one of those types of conversations, trying to speak to him in a way that she hopes that he'll be able to understand. And still, Barry believes that he is special and chosen. And so as a result of that, he thinks that the fact that he lived through a night that should have seen him die means that he's been redeemed and therefore he does not have anything to feel guilty about anymore. Yeah, this is his starting now moment, Mm -hmm. right? One of those infamous moments from season one where he's like, great, the violent stuff is behind me. Now we can move on and live the life I've always wanted to. And he once again goes to that. He denies anything that Sally's telling him, saying we're both tired. We'll get out of L.A., We'll figure out the next chapter of our lives, not realizing that Barry is already at the end of his proverbial book. Mm-hmm. When Sally turns away from him and he puts his hand on her back, in my opinion, I knew in that moment that she and John would be gone by the time you woke up. Yeah, me too. Um, and again, kudos to Sally for having the wherewithal to get away from this man kind of like once and for all. Yeah, because I think in that moment, she has been drinking a lot of truth serum over the course of that evening. And I think that when she looks in the eyes of this man that she ran off with, the man that was supposed to be her protector, and Mm -hmm. he's like, nope, everything is hunky-dory. I'm a good person. Bye-bye. She doesn't think that she's a good person. She can't go along with Barry's logic that he, of all people, is a good person as well. And so I think it completely makes sense. And I think also at the same time, her going through that firefight, I would imagine there's also a certain perspective that is going to feed into her final scene in the show when she rejects the advances of that AP history teacher. Uh-huh. I think for lack of a better term, Sally Reed realized she don't need no man. <laughs> I think she realized that she is someone who has been constantly searching for validation and a protector and someone that will consistently feed her the stuff that she needs. And I think she has realized over the course of her time in L.A., that she doesn't need that from Barry specifically that what he was providing was very toxic and that what she needed was there right all along. And it's sleeping between her and Barry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To realize that she just needed herself and her son, a huge realization for Sally. I loved the, I know we'll talk about it more, but I love the moment later when the AP U S history teacher approaches her and she's just like, no, Yeah, it's, I, it's, I don't it's need so good. to intertwine my life again with ever, a man ever. No, like, yeah, it never goes well for me. I'm just going to stay away. So Jean is going to begin the calamity that ends the life of Barry Berkman. Calamity Jean. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, he's about to, you know, Jeannie, get your gun yeah. as he is holding himself up in uh, his bedroom looking through articles that are obviously lambasting him. I did another uh, screen grab of more THR articles. LT, you want to hear some chestnuts here? I do. YouTube star at Tyler, which of course we know is the star (laughs) of The Magical Boy, uh, signs huge deal for three separate shows on two different networks. So at Tyler, really the it boy of this era. It's a lot of work. Mega Studios, which I imagine is the studios that created Mega Girls, Uh launches new feature streaming service to work exclusively with their new self-driving car line. Oh. So a little bit of bang for your buck. You pay exorbitantly for your self-driving car and you Uh get a free streaming service on top of that. That sounds safe. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing says uh, kick back and relax and let the AI take over (laughs) than just uh, checking out 
your favorite new movie or TV show on a big screen in front of you. Exactly. I mean, given that Teslas still don't understand what trains are, uh, <laughs> I know this is supposed to be in the future, so maybe they've worked it out. But I, I'm still a no on the self-driving cars bit. Well, maybe you're a yes on this, LT. Mexico leads in the awards race with five films in the best picture category, a first for any country besides the United States. Yes, finally. Yeah, people are finally uh, taking, you know, uh, Parasite's advice and <laughs> actually being able to read subtitles yes. and, you know, basking in the, the glow of that warm light. It's been a long time coming, but eventually it's got to happen, right? Well, finally, uh, this is below the little, like, ad. I love this one, and apologies, I had a tough time reading, like, the names on this one, so I may have misspelled some stuff. No more effing around, says Gruff Picture Studio <laughs> boss Graham Blakikoff as he signs historic picture deal for movies starring only infants. <laughs> Honestly, that might have been my favorite joke of the entire episode. <laughs> It's just this like little reserved fourth headline on a blinking you miss it THR website. That's amazing. I love it. Um, I, of course, stand behind babies in film. I always, I noted... They're very easy to stand behind. They're quite small. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm a noted advocate for children in film. Yes, nothing says child labor laws like <laughs> conscripting babies to only be the stars of a major motion picture. Exactly. I mean... We got three, what was it called? Uh, it was the Kirstie Alley, John Travolta. Look who's talking. Thank you. Look who's talking. Look who's talking to. Like, if we did it way back then, then bring it back. Let's Not to mention back. the proliferation of Boss Baby as well. Like, everything <laughs> old is new again. Gene yes. uh, is old and on a new path, though. We go to a couple of other websites. Deadline says, you know, we don't work with murderers. Hashtag justice for Janice. And perhaps the most driving point is the LA Times article that says, Gene Cousineau's son, I figured out my dad bought my house with drug money, so he shot me. Henry Winkler talks about this in one of his interviews, that in those moments he feels like the walls are closing in around him. It's no mm -hmm. coincidence that he like locks himself in his room because he just feels so claustrophobic because of it considering that this is seems to be like the final straw for Leo, right? If he is yeah. going to a major publication, knowing that his headline grubbing dad would be able to see him essentially disavow him for the last time really feels like a shot to the heart. Yeah. Uh, another shot to the heart is the fact that they can't even say his name. He's just Gene Cousineau's son. Uh, so Leo really never gets any respect, even when he's got a whole article written about him. Yeah, and uh, also Tom is taken off, hoping to get away from, much like Leo, his involvement in the Gene Cousineau mm -hmm. of it all. Of course, he was going to slip out in a very shysty way, right? <laughs> oh, I messed up your Vitamix. Let me just go to the store and fix it. <laughs> and as he's about to grab a suitcase and hightail it out of there, he opens the door. And there is Barry. Barry has gone to a logical location considering that Sally revealed to Barry in that hotel scene that she had called Gene and wanted to see him prior to her getting kidnapped by the Chechens. And so he thinks, okay, they just went back to Cousineau's. Let me go and demand my family back. Right. Um, they are nowhere to be found. They're not there. 
Um, it's pretty obvious they aren't there because it's not like it's a huge place. Um, so he can see that there's not any trace of them anywhere, but he kind of like barges in anyway. And this is the hubris that I'm talking about, like where he truly believes that he's been saved and is one of God's like chosen people. So nothing can happen to him as he just enters this house with no weapons at all uh, that we can see anyway and demands that he get his family back, even though yeah. they aren't there. So let's talk about how things conclude here with a couple of different swerves. First, when you see Jane pull out the rip-torn gun, mm -hmm. LT, were you assuming the worst? Would you assume that Gene shot himself? Uh, I I did at first until I started to hear Barry's voice, then realizing that Gene could hear Barry's voice. Yeah, I agree. And I think Henry Winkler has a really good quote in one of his interviews about this, where he was asked, okay, did you ever debate that Gene would shoot himself with a rip-torn gun? He says, it never entered my mind. I never thought about really taking my own life. I'm too valuable. Gene and his own mind were just too valuable to kill himself. There's always another student to Barnum and Bailey. And yeah, I think that's a really fascinating line of logic, right? That yeah. even at his moral low point, Gene is still too much of an inherent narcissist that he's like, <laughs> I can't have the world be robbed of Gene Cousineau. <laughs> that makes total sense for the character. Yeah, because I also think at the same time, he's saying, you know, I don't want the the world to think of me as this of course irony of all ironies he will still be viewed at this at the end of the day but like i don't want to go out on their terms i want to be the one to sign the contract mm -hmm. or walk away here yeah um and yeah it is really ironic that he just ends up being known as a murderer at the yeah. end well let's talk about what gives him that title as tom is going to try to use this invasion as an opportunity Maybe it's a good thing that you came now, Barry. He says that Gene's in a desperate situation. You're the only one who can save him. This is an opportunity to do the right thing. The camera slowly pushes in on Barry as I think everything is catching up to him. Both, you know, the fact that his family has gone, that here is this father figure of his that has had his life crushed in so many ways by Barry's presence that for the first time has him feeling repentant and mm -hmm. does have him say, okay, let's call the cops. I need to turn myself in. Right. But Barry, in this instance, at least, we'll talk about how he his image lives on, is robbed of that moment of redemption as Gene shoots him twice and we get Bill Hader's final words on the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I I really did think that the, that Barry had to die in the final episode. Yeah, I think it would have been too much if they really do go for what Barry wanted, which is like, right. you did all this and you totally redeemed yourself all exactly. a dumb and dumber. Go live your happily ever after. <laughs> That's not what the show was. No, it's never what the show was. And the fact that it's Mr. Cousineau who, you know, kills him is is I mean when you go back to the beginning and like trace their relationship it's just all of these like it, it was all leading up to this really um yeah. honestly the second that he pulled the trigger on Janice this, it was all leading up to this right and that's the thing 
is that, to your point, as soon as Gene hears Barry's voice, he sees Red. And again, I love the ironies that Barry does not pull a trigger once in this mm-hmm. finale. Fuchs does, yeah. and Gene does. They show, again, the impact that he has had on them. That because of Barry's act of violence, it causes Gene to exact this end of violence. I think it's such a fantastic follow-up as well on the really tragic ending of episode four for Gene. We're thinking it's Barry. He does end up shooting his son. Now he's right. finally able to like finish the the job in a manner of speaking and do what he thought he did eight years ago. Henry Winkler says that the reason why Gene killed Barry was because Gene was being blamed for what he knew Barry did. Gene seemed to be in one of those rooms where the walls were all closing in towards the center and he was just being crushed by this evidence. Remember, Barry was the son that Gene wanted, not the kid who was actually Gene's son. And so I think, again, it is this sort of fun, full measure ending for Gene that he does end up shooting and only wounding his real son. Right. And he does not miss when it comes to killing his real son. No, he does not. He... One in the one in the chest, one in the head. That is pretty accurate shooting. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, we know that if if it's Rip Torn's gun, it's probably got bullets in it. So, like the second that that came out, I was like, okay, this is how this is going to end for Barry. Yeah, and I love it as a pairing with how season three ends, right? Where I think Gene, I believe, starts the season by calling Barry in prison and saying, like, I got you, you son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. For the umpteen time, Barry is able to escape the situation he's been cornered into. He's a slippery little sucker. This time, Gene is not going to let him escape once more. And so, much like we kind of saw with Hank, when a passion fuels you, you put the blinders up. And as much as we talk about closing off emotion to make these decisions, oftentimes these decisions are influenced by emotion and so if gene had heard what barry was doing turning himself in gene would be doing a freaking tap dance right he can have his cake he needed to barry admits to killing janice he's exonerated he can go do whatever he wants to now he's tap dancing at the courthouse upon right. barry's guilty charge but because gene was so focused on this man who ruined his life in so many ways all he could do was walk into the room gun first and shoot him point blank. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it had become an obsession by that part, by that time. Um, and there's really, you know, when someone becomes obsessed, there's really like one way to, to end that kind of relationship and end that obsession. And, and this one ended with the murder of Barry Berkman. So uh, I I was hoping that for Gene's sake that he had, he would just like give him a couple minutes to say his piece and ha- and and call the police and actually like let him let Barry turn himself in. But I also think that Gene has been through so much already with having Barry in custody and then like having him wriggle out somehow that he wanted to put a stop to this like for the last time. He wanted to be the one to end it so that way he knew it was over. Right, which is a fantastic perversion when we get to the end, right? Where I think in this instance, Gene fancies himself the hero of the story. I finally Mm -hmm. got that guy. I was the one who killed the guy who killed my girlfriend. And Janice can rest peacefully 
right. only to see how the two of them are then talked about, not posthumously because Gene is still alive, but just serving a life sentence in prison. But the way that they are perceived, how Gene, again, once again, through his narcissism is self-sabotaging. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just love those final words, as we spoke about before. The fact that Barry is taken by surprise here, and he's not taken down in a blaze of glory. He doesn't get, get that self-sacrifice that he wants, either from busting into the Chechen facility and letting his son go on without him. He dies with his family abandoning him, mm-hmm. with Fuchs, you know, saving his son, but then still just giving kind of like a furtive goodbye and leaving his life forever. And for him to get gunned down by, of all people, the acting teacher that yeah. he had been begging to get into the class of and then spent an entire season leading around on a leash. Right. Yeah. I mean, Barry got what was coming to him, honestly. Like, Barry has kind of led this, like, plot armor heavy existence um, of of being able to get away with all of these terrible things for such a long time. And finally, Gene just kind of took it into his own hands and said, not anymore. Like you will not get away with this ever again. And this is going to be the end for you, the end of the line. And it wasn't like, I, there's no way that Barry went into this situation thinking for a second that Gene would ever like dare shoot Mm -hmm. him you know so his own hubris really got him in the end right and that's kind of the character that has been built up particularly through like the last few seasons is this idea that perhaps barry was doing a bit of like back's position of okay the reason why i survived all these things is because i have been chosen Mm. i am the one who needs to carry this out exact god's will because i need to survive And the fact that he gets killed off here before he can have that final moment of glory, I just think is so fitting. Because again, I don't think he does deserve it. He talks about in the very beginning of the season to Sally how like he can't tell her or himself the truth that he is a bad person. And I think the times he tries to be a good person, it's fitting that his life gets cut short before he gets to. Because that's just not who Barry Berkman is. No, it's not. But you said you don't think he deserves it? It's tough because deserve is always an interesting question. Yeah. Right? Like, when the ledgers are balanced at the end of the day, when the Egyptian god is weighing your heart (laughs) on the scale, Barry has done so much. And I think Bill Hader has done an immaculate job of, like, getting us to understand the character, but not empathize with the character. Like, I think he certainly has flights of fancy we've talked about the fantasies beforehand and we can definitely sympathize with his desire of like just wanting to have a normal simple life of him leaving behind this job that he's gotten desensitized with in being an assassin and becoming an actor but at the same time i think the sense that he has deluded himself and the fact that unlike sally in my opinion he dies without really except for that moment like coming to a realization of okay, I need to pay for the consequences of my own actions. Mm -hmm. It feels like a good spot to leave the character because it feels like purposely unsatisfying in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, let's do the time warp again, LT. (laughs) As we jump forward, I'm going to say probably another like eight years, maybe a little bit less. Uh, We have 
I now teenage John played by like the guy that played the little snot in Knives Out, which I absolutely love. <laughs> Jaden Martell. Yes. Uh, and so we see that once again, they have moved. We see snow falling. So I have to assume somewhere in the Midwest, maybe near the Great Lakes, as Sally has once again taken up the occupation that she did, albeit briefly, back in the middle of season four. A teacher, she directed this production of All of Our Town. We see an older John in the audience and no more wigs, no more fake <laughs> names. She's walking out there. She goes by Miss Reed. And like mm-hmm. you talked about before, she's very much like strong in her own identity by refusing the solicitations of this teacher. But at the same time, there is still a part of Sally that remains as John is going to ask to go, you know, stay with his friend. Sally obliges. But she has to ask her son, the person she is now leaning on in this world, Mm -hmm. was it okay? Yeah. I thought that was like a really sweet moment, honestly. Um, Because it shows that it's kind of, you know, to quote Yellow Jackets, it's like the two of them against the world. Um, And, you know, it's... and, And that even like though Sally is not acting in her career is by no means high stakes anymore the way that it used to be she still has the same insecurities that she's always had and she still needs someone to look to to tell her whether or not she did a good job yeah so it's not exactly in the jesse armstrong camp of like no one really changes truly but i think it means that there are certain facets of yourself that you just carry with you throughout and that no matter what career the location or point in her life sally is there is still this impulse, this inclination to say, was that okay? Mm-hmm. Was I okay? That like, she is showing herself to a certain aspect. Again, she says a flat out no to the guy that's making advances on her. But at the same time, there is still this desire for her to have at least one person that can be her safety, that can be that security, to have that person for validation. And so I really enjoy that as well, you know, as we have talked about with perhaps uncharacteristic terms or theorized as such with a lot of HBO shows throughout its time, just felt very earned to me that Mm -hmm. like Sally feels in a good place, but there is still this part of her that remains no matter what the chosen path in life may be. Yeah. Um, I'm just happy that she's doing okay. Yeah. I mean, she literally got her flowers. That's how she she did the series is her driving by herself, looking over in the passenger seat, and that's all she needs, and that's all she wants is the validation, is the adoration, and I think the flowers represent that. Yeah, the flowers represent it, and then, like, the extra little bit of applause, because everyone comes to see these plays um, because it's Sally that's directing them, right? Like, she's obviously able to bring something out of these students and is appreciated by the students, their parents, for it, so... She ultimately got, you know, got a career in the arts the way that she always wanted it, just as a very roundabout way. And, you know, she's learned that she's able to uh, to make do with like a, a smaller amount of validation than she maybe would have needed if she if her career had gone in another trajectory. Yeah, this is a quote from Sarah Goldberg from, I believe, Variety. She says, Ultimately, I imagine life became a lot quieter for her in a nice way. Underneath it all, there were shades of Sally that were narcissistic and ruthlessly ambitious, but there were also parts of Sally that were pure and artistic. 
She had integrity. She doesn't opt for a podcast or a reality show, or when she's asked to make compromises for a script for Joplin, she won't. She's a mix of all things, and that's what made her such a joy to play. And I also love, LT, that we spoke about this a bit during, you know, the standalone three-header of that family in episode five, Mm -hmm. that Sally is kind of living her best Joplin life at this point. That she is now this single mother who was previously in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. and is trying to live a semi-stable life while making ends meet. Hopefully it's not as dramatic as Joplin is, but I do think it's very fun to see as we're about to get into art very much not imitating life, to have art imitate life for Sally, that she does end up becoming the character that she had pseudo-fabricated last season. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's really interesting. Um, Yeah, uh, it's just, it's wild the twists and turns that life can take to make art imitate life and vice versa. All right, well, speaking of that, Let's finish things off with a wallop as it turns out that John's perhaps being a bit duplicitous. And I think for a second, certainly, well, to you and I had speculated about this last week. Okay, is John going to continue the cycle here? Has mm-hmm. he just been either through nature or nurture dragged into this moral abyss that his father and his cohorts were involved in? And we find out, okay, he snuck away from his mom. He was lying about the sleepover to like, I don't know, shoot cans or something i could certainly see the show going that way we don't we get it much better in in my opinion the very definition of bittersweet the show this entire time has been about what parts do we play for lack of a better term what masks do we put on and so it is only appropriate in my opinion that we end the series on the biggest mask of them all that we watch essentially the entirety of the Barry series mm-hmm. in a very demented Hollywood lens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's truly wild uh, what they were able to come up with and the liberties that were taken with the story uh, in telling the Barry Berkman tale, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're really making some shortcuts from him walking right off the bus and into the <laughs> acting studio that just has yeah. <laughs> acting class on the marquee. Everyone always, whenever you are uh, getting off of a bus in LA, you immediately head to acting class. Everyone knows that. Uh, That's just something that happens. Yes, exactly. And so we again get this very oddly couched storyline, right? Where now Gene is being personified as the manipulative British acting teacher who he was the one that was involved with shady dealings with Ryan Madison and Ryan had to die. He's the one that killed Janice and forced Barry to cooperate. He's the one who had Barry's uh, wife and son kidnapped. And ultimately, true to life, he does shoot Barry. Uh, not like the five times that we saw, yeah. but it's it's an incredible way to end the show, in my opinion, that still, at the end of the day, it comes down to the roles that we play in life. And the fact that our legacies can oftentimes not match up to who we were as people. Tricky, 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 yeah, tricky legacies. I mean, it is interesting that Barry kind of gets a heroic ending here. And I was trying to read John's expression of like, he was clearly of a formulative age where he knew what was happening. His mom told him that they were fugitives. 
that he was a killer. So it's not like he doesn't remember any of that. So he has to feel to a certain aspect like, okay, this is all a, a bag of crap. But at the same time, there is this smile on his face because I think at the end of the day, this is how he wants his dad to be remembered from both his yeah. own perspective and the world's perspective. Barry may not have died as a person in the way that he wanted to, being that sacrificial lamb, turning himself in to save the people he loves. But he does get that happy ending in terms of legacy, which feels so much fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, John was old enough to know that it was Fuchs who rescued him from that big, you know, shootout that happened with the Chechens and Fuchs's gang. It wasn't Barry that came in and rescued he and Sally. Um, but you know, that's something that was drama that I guess worked dramaturgically. dramaturgically. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so he knows that there are some things that some liberties that are being taken in this movie, but yet at the end, he kind of has a smile on his face, um, at the idea that, you know, Barry, the, the text at the end that says that Barry got like a, uh, buried with full honors at Arlington Cemetery. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, considering that, again, look at the opposite trajectories of Gene and Barry. One died and was venerated as a hero. One ends up in jail for murder. I think you'd be uh, surprised that these were those two characters' fates. That exactly. We would surmise that Gene might break bad to a certain extent, but you know, considering that Barry was the one sitting behind bars for murder by the beginning of this series, by the season, I don't think that Gene ending the season doing so was expected by any means. No, not at all. And then also, you know, the delicious irony in the fact that Gene himself consistently was about trying to build himself up as a good guy, right? Like the entire trajectory of him as an actor in this series was, this is a dude who tarnished his reputation by being a straight up asshole to everyone around him. And this idea of trying to give himself a second chance through other people or his own means by like winning his way back into the spotlight by unfortunate circumstances and then self-sabotaging in so many ways, whether it's like the peace for lawn or ultimately killing Barry and ending up confirming a lot of paranoia and fears that everyone at that intervention last week had of him he definitely proves that the Streisand effect, right? And how that might backfire sometimes of like infamous and famous. They may have a lot of letters between them, but they're also two different words considering that Gene does end the series as not only this murderer, not only serving a life sentence, but then also at the same time now being personified as the big bad guy in this movie. Yeah. Um. And also just goes to show how oftentimes Hollywood doesn't get it right. And I think that that's very telling. I mean, we, we wondered like what Barry was trying to say about podcasts all season, but like, what was Barry really trying to say about uh, like these Hollywood reenactments of things or like movies that are based on true stories? Yeah. I think it all comes down to narrative and truth right that the reason why the movie is called the mass collector is because of a phrase that gene said all the way back in the day about how acting is about collecting these masks and putting Mm -hmm. them in front of your face 
that very rarely do you get to show your true face, your true personality in the world of the arts. It's all about putting on a different part, showing a part of yourself or truly imbibing a role that does not connect with you. And so I think here, serving as that stark reminder of these men being remembered for things they definitely were not in their lives, Mm -hmm. it's so representative to me of the entire ethos of the show, which is we are oftentimes not remembered for who we were as people, for the faces that we showed everyone, because in one way or another, we wear masks in every aspect of our lives. Yeah, that's so true. Um, just real quick though, the how do you coach acting that wooden? <laughs> is what yeah. I would like to know. <laughs> the two people playing Gene and Barry are the most wooden actors that I've ever seen in my entire life. And what was the decision to make Gene British about? Well, I mean, it's also like the evil villain, right? Oh, a little right. Bit of going back yeah. to the James Bond of it all. Don't trust the Brits, as I'm sure are a Marocentric perspective. Also, like a bit of a flair for the dramatic. I think you'd go for yeah. British there as well. I mean, I, I think it was just such a, a fun note to end things on. And then kind of the, the demented note of John smiling, right? Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to spoil the succession finale too much, but there is, I would say, a comparable moment where characters are sitting around watching footage of a dead person that they Mm -hmm. are related to that I don't think is fully representative of who they are, yet they still look back on it and smile. And I think part of it is looking back on the aspects that they want to remember. And then part of it is like saying, okay, this is how they'll be remembered. This is what their legacy will be. This is the story that people get to see of them. And I'm happy about it. I mean, John had so much love for his dad that we kind of yada yada over just the insurmountable, I would imagine, psychology of him having to come to terms with like the fact that his dad was a quote unquote bad man and that he had to come to terms with this guy that he spent every single minute of every day with, with someone that was capable of such violence, of such darkness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this is something that John wants to believe, despite the fact that he does keep the truth in his heart there's a bit of that optimistic fiction within him as well. And that's being satiated by this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wonder, I, I, I mean, it would be interesting to know like what five, 10 years down the ro- road, John's life is going to look like given that he, you know, like Sally has obviously kept him away from seeing this film and now he's seen it and he's kind of, enamored of the person that his father is made out to be so is is that gonna like is he gonna now want to join the the military is he gonna now want to be more like his dad because he's got the opportunity to be like his mom just in terms of following along with the acting and he's clearly not doing that so i'm a little worried in the end for john Yeah, and that's what makes it a fun coda as well, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we thought that the cycle would continue. Maybe it's not in that he's going to pick up a gun and join the army, but I wonder if at the same time, does he walk away with the wrong message of like, yep, my dad was the victim in (laughs) all this. And that's comic in and of itself. It's a very dark comedy, but that's what Barry is in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, LT, let's take off our masks for the final time because now that we have... All of Barry, 32 episodes, 
behind us. Now that we have sort of seen the story from beginning to end, this is such a deep topic, but overall thoughts about the series. What are you left feeling now walking away from the capital T, capital E end of Barry? I, so I have seen this episode now three times uh, because... Thank you, 35-minute runtime. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, because it doesn't take very long to watch. And I think that I, you know, we, we spoke a little bit of the succession finale earlier. I've been able to reconcile this finale a lot easier with myself than I have been able to recon- reconcile the succession finale so far. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think that it, it accomplished everything that I thought it needed to accomplish, right? Like we got answers about the fates of Hank and Barry and Fuchs and uh and Sally and John and I think that we may not have gotten the answer we wanted for Gene but we did get an answer um and so now I'm more interested in in how it's making me want to know what is down the road for Sally and John Mm. um it it really has left me kind of with that like uh (laughs) sequel taste in my mouth already um but what should be I called John is that the next series <laughs> just called John Johnny John from um, Cincinnati making a return oh no worst show of all time <laughs> listen we had one show concluded I believe didn't John from Cincinnati like follow up the the Sopranos finale or another big high profile HBO series finale they did so... I don't remember which one it was hey but... maybe they were in Cincinnati in that final scene maybe it's possible um but I I really think that uh it kind of the i think that the that the finale stuck the landing it, you know yeah. is is kind of what we wonder about when we get these finales i think that we got closure for all of the characters that we were wondering about and it may not have been what we expected but they subverted expectations in a way that was satisfying yeah the way i look back on this series and season 4 in particular I've certainly seen people say that season four is not their favorite. I think it definitely feels like the most scattered season that we've had. And I certainly think from a plot perspective, sometimes they wanted to put 10 pounds of plot in a five pound bag, you know, them really conscripting themselves to like 35 minutes at most for an episode caused them to pack so much stuff in. And the fact that we took so many discombobulating time and location jumps Mm -hmm. give us a difficulty in finding our feet But I think that was sort of the point, is to leave us stumbling. It's still a little tough to chew over, but at the same time, I totally agree with you. I'm so satisfied with Barry as a series. I love the fact that we started sort of a completely different show than how we ended it, with this like broadly comic concept of an assassin wants to be an actor, and then we end on this like huge meditation on hyper-violence and fictionalization of our own roles in society. And when we open our hearts up, does that open up a larger hole for us to be cut into? There's so much fascinating stuff in here. And I cannot say enough how impressed I am with Bill Hader. I know that he himself would say he has surrounded himself with so many talented people. But just look at the fact that this came from a guy who was known for mainly doing impressions on SNL to now this multi-hyphenate superstar actor writer director capable of producing some of like the trippiest most audacious stuff i've seen on television in Mm -hmm. recent memory 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's really kind of like leaving the show at the top of it, of his game, and I'm excited to see what Bill Hader has ahead of him um, yeah. because it, he ha- has been able to demonstrate that he knows exactly what a sh- like what it takes to be a showrunner and a, a writer and a director. Um, so I'm just kind of interested in what his wacky mind comes up with next because whatever it is I'm sure I'll be along for the ride yeah and I think it's also been a great opportunity to welcome in all these other actors I think while I love Barry Zuckercorn it feels like Gene uh, and Henry Winkler has had his first real breakout role since Fonzie that I think people have realized what he is capable of Stephen Root similarly known from the staple guy as well as Bill from King of the Hill was able to become like a certified badass yeah. by the end of the show and just become such like the worm king in a manner of speaking of being able to gain teeth. Anthony Kerrigan, such a legend. I love how they brought this guy out of obscurity to create one of my favorite characters on TV, not only from just being a gold mine of comedy, but also like a legitimate amount of pathos and heartbreak as well towards the end. And Sarah Goldberg. Sarah Goldberg. She's she's got high aspects. I believe she's already signed on to another show because she just proved, like Sally Reed, someone sort of out of obscurity, being wildly, incredibly talented. I just feel so bowled over by the experience that Barry brought me over these four seasons. It was funny. It was dark. It was twisted at a lot of points. And whether or not you agree or disagree with the series, I am just, and especially the way, you know, the final season ended up happening. I'm so sap- so happy we had it. And sappy. I'm feeling sappy about it, too. It's a weird <laughs> day. Sappy. LT, yeah, it's we've a been saying, really weird day. Yeah, you know, we've been saying goodbye to so many things. And here we are sending off yet another HBO show. But like you talk about with Succession, I'm happy that it's going out on its own terms that Bill Hader feels good with the way that things ended. And that, mm-hmm. like you said, the sky is the limit with this entire group that I think they have proven themselves capable of so many multifaceted things, considering that Barry has never truly settled in any sort of camp when it comes to genre, tone, characterization. It has been such a sublime experience getting to watch the show and especially cover it alongside you. I know we were looking for something for such a long time that we could cover together and it takes a show. It takes a psycho show (laughs) like this one uh, to really bring us together and kind of be at the intersection of all of the things that we love about television. So I've had a really, really fun time covering this with you. I really don't know what I'm going to do next. I mean, everything's ending. Yeah, the landscape is looking not unlike that random plains, you know, uh, purgatory-like state where we found Barry (laughs) and Sally and John in episodes four and five, where a lot of shows are ending and considering the writer's strike. Yeah. Not a terrible amount on the horizon. No, there's not. It's very scary and I don't like it. Well, at the moment, though, LT, you are putting on a bunch of different masks, covering shows that may or may not be ending this week, as well as other stuff moving forward. Give us one last round of plugs for The Road on the Barry Podcast. What do you have going on that people should check out? A lot of things that are ending, honestly. Uh, so uh, Succession versus Yellow Jackets. Succession just aired its final episode ever. Yellow Jackets just aired its final episode of season two. 
And they only had one day in the writer's room for season three, even though the show was renewed before season two aired for season three. They only got to spend one day in the writer's room before the strike happened. So who knows when we'll be getting the next season of uh, Yellow Jackets. But Josh and I are still going to uh, have, I think, a lengthy discussion about these uh, final two episodes of television and make them fight each other. Um, I'm also still covering, uh, well, actually, this show just finished. Um, So Sarah Carradine and I did the final um, episode of Love and Death, a show which totally exists, but I'm not sure why it does. Um, And we talked all about it. So Yeah, I mean, HBO is just really saying, all right, hard cutoff date, May 31st, and everyone moves out of our lineup. Exactly. Uh, They're really getting rid of a lot of stuff. Um, And then the only thing that I really have left is uh, Top Chef over on Bravo. And that's also coming to an end. Which is coming to a close. Uh, Me and Haley and Kurt will be covering that, uh, what's left of it. Uh, (laughs) So please tune in for that. If you uh, would like to hear what we're going to try to cobble together (laughs) during the writer's strike um, and uh, what I'll be working on next, please follow me on Twitter at LK Starks. And if you'd like to see some pictures of me uh, going to a wedding and getting all like uh, dressed up and having fun times, uh, then you can follow me on Instagram at Stormborn1222. That is enough of an incentive, in my opinion. I think those are absolutely (laughs) beautiful shots. Uh, So thank thank you. you, LT, as well, for everything that you brought to this season. This was so fantastic. Of yeah, course, you can follow awesome. me at, at a Mike Bloom type. We talked about HBO shows ending. I had the distinct honor of getting to join Jess and Grace right after the succession finale aired to try to verbalize my thoughts, not only after that finale, but at like 11 p.m. at night about <laughs> everything that went down over that hour and a half. That's just the beginning of succession coverage happening this week. Uh, additionally, I'm covering Silo on Apple TV+, Plus, which is one of those rare shows that's not ending in the next couple of weeks. We just reached the halfway point, but it's a dystopian mystery box show that I really enjoy covering that with Dr. Amanda. And then Josh Wiggler and I are going to go back to the past to do a rewatch slash first watch for me of Battlestar Galactica on Down the Hatch after we just concluded Mm. our coverage of Mrs. Davis. And all that to say, there is plenty of stuff to come on post-show recaps. There are still shows that will be happening over the summer, but yeah, it does feel almost a bit of a throwback LT that like we're going back to a schedule of all these shows concluding in May. And then like this summer is the time for everyone to take a break before the fall comes around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and hopefully for, you know, the writer strike to end uh, yeah. with a, a really good deal for everyone. Absolutely. We should say that, you know, our hearts and our support are with the WGA. Really encourage you to check out the podcast that Josh and Dr. Amanda did about the strike itself to find out more information if you need to, because Bill Hader notably did not give any interviews about the series finale of Barry because he is on a strike. And I think it just shows how the creative process really leans upon writing, how they are the skeletal structure of Mm -hmm. a body of work. And if you don't have bones, you got nothing. You're just a pile of goop. Well, no bones about it. We enjoyed Barry and really enjoyed getting to cover this series and this season. And thank you all so much for listening week in and week out as well. It'll be sad to not be talking about Barry 
anymore, but I'm so happy with what it gave us an opportunity to talk about, to delve into. And I'm, I'm, you know, smiling because it happened, not crying because it is over. Uh, and certainly not looking as terrified as Hank did <laughs> as he grabbed Statue no. Cristobal's hand. So that's going to do it. The house lights are fading for the last time. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening to our coverage of Barry's final season. Latanya, thank you for your absolutely incredible work on this show. Until next time, everybody, take care, bye-bye, and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.